Hello and welcome to Plot Trist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing In Pursuit of Eliza Sinster by Stephanie Lawrence. This book was published in 2011 and is the second in the Sinster Sisters trilogy, but 17th in the Sinster series. Ah, I'm just so excited. Guys, this might be in my top three for bat shittery. <laughs> really? I am amazed. Oh my God. I'm so excited to talk about Because it doesn't that. make any sense. Zero. Zero <laughs> sense. I mean, number one will always be Witch Women of Scotland because, reminder, in spite of this being normal, olden timesy London, for the rest of the books, they just take for granted that Katrina's a witch mm-hmm. and actually speaks to God. Yeah. They're like, and, they, and they just call him. They just they just call her Richard's witchy wife. You know, the lady of the veil who can commune with the lady spirit. And they're always like, obviously. So that one will always win. But this one is... I love this for two reasons. One, because it makes no sense. The plot is awful. I say with affectionate love. Um, and two, because it's just the same book as the last one. But tweaked in some crucial ways that aren't actually that significant. I love the conflict and the resolution to the conflict in this book. I cannot, I cannot tell you how much I love it because it's so stupid, unrealistic, like it makes no sense. And I fucking love it. Are you referring to the conflict wherein they actually have feelings for each other? Yeah. And they need to decide if they want to tell people about those feelings. That is correct. Because (laughs) that apparently it's not the actual fact of feeling feelings that's going to determine how your marriage is going to go. It's the fact of telling other people about the feelings that you're feeling. And if you're wondering how long this, okay, we know we have feelings, but we have to decide what we want to do about it. Resolution conflict. Like how many pages of the book it is? Roughly 150. It's fucking a lot of pages. (laughs) Sorry (laughs) we just spoiled the ending to this book for you, but if you're going to read this book, you, you won't care. So this book is sort of three pieces. Yes. Eliza is kidnapped, which mirrors the events of the first one pretty closely, except obviously Eliza sucks more than Heather. Right. The second part is also mirroring the first book, Eliza and Jeremy on the run. The, the escape, yeah. The escape and the compromising. Mm-hmm. Of course. And then the third part is they, are, they get to safety, but they have to decide how they feel about each other. Yep. For Heather and Breckenridge, it was like, this is not the life I planned. Do we want to do this? For Jeremy and Eliza, it's literally just, we know we're getting married, but what does that mean to us? Yep. For 150 pages. Here's my one problem with this book. We're going to get so far ahead of ourselves, but I feel like we don't have to do anything in order during the batshit books. No. They do not kiss for 180 pages. (laughs) They sleep in a bed together and he doesn't even think about his boner. I was like, Stephanie Lawrence, are you okay? You're like, you know, blink twice if you need help, Stephanie. Exactly. Like, call 911 and say you're ordering a pizza and I'll ask if you want pepperoni if there's a gun. (laughs) Like, this is, was she there? But then... They're having full-blown sex 30 pages later and then regularly at intervals after that. So, like, Stephanie was fine. 
She just wanted to trick us for a little bit. Trick. Big trick. So, okay. The book jacket. The pleasure of your company is requested at the wedding of Miss Eliza's sister, but not until she is rescued from a daring abduction by the most unexpected of heroes. Brazenly kidnapped from her sister Heather's engagement ball, Eliza Sinster is spirited north to Edinburgh, desperate and determined to escape. She seizes upon the first possible champion who happens along, gentleman scholar Jeremy Carling. Villains and rescues are a far cry from Jeremy's expertise, yet he cannot abandon a damsel in distress. But danger lurks, and hurdles are abound in their race to escape the mysterious laird until a final confrontation on a windswept cliff reveals what their future life could hold if both are bold enough to capture and own the unexpected love they now share. Uh, I don't know where... Okay, one, they make a big deal out of an explicitly not Heather's engagement ball in the book. Oh, God. Two, he's only unexpected because she doesn't actually know him. Well, This is Stephanie Lauren's attempt at writing a scholar. Oh, my God. It's so, so funny. It's so funny. I love it. It's so stupid. It's so dumb, and I love it. Okay. FYI, Jeremy does appear in a different book in the series, not the Sinister series, the Bastion Club series. Yes, that was alluded to several times. I was confused, but shocking. I gave zero shits. So fucking many. That's the other thing I loved about this book is at the end, when she's finally rescued, they're like, oh, there's this person and this person and this person and this person and this person. That's what Eliza says. She's like, I expected my mom, but I didn't expect Alessia and Gabriel and their kids and Honoria and Horatia. <laughs> And Jeremy goes, yeah, I expected my brother, but I didn't expect Del and Delia and Lenora and Rafe. And I was like, okay. And they don't do anything. They don't have, they don't play anything in the part. Like they literally hang around for like two days and then they leave. <laughs> Which is just so funny in contrast again to Viscount Breckenridge to the rescue mm -hmm. where somehow Breckenridge just convinces her whole family to stay away. Yep. Yep. It's interesting. So as usual, we okay. generated a random number and between one and 50 and then wrote our own summaries using that number as a word count. Meg. Some rando in Scotland needs her son to kidnap a sinister sister and Eliza's next. Luckily, an acquaintance sees her and pulls off the worst rescue in the known universe. You pointed out what's really important here. Which is that this is a terrible plan, terribly executed, and both of them suck a lot. The worst, <laughs> like, the worst rescue of fucking, it was so funny, it was so bad, and I, you had, it just went on, and on, and on. The, the amount, so sometimes we're like, my god, this sinister novel was like three bucks shoved into one. For all that I just described three distinct parts to you, this was like half a book. I dragged mean, out to be three books. Thank you. I was like, no, it was fucking long. This book is no, long. But, but there is very little about him other than he's learning to read less. Confused. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know what? My favorite thing, we have 
again, I'm just jumping around, but I don't even care. So he's like an expert on Egyptian hieroglyphs. And you may be like, Lane, you're super into that, right? No, because he realizes he's a changed man who's learned the important things because in the course of rescuing her, he forgot about this precious manuscript he's been like entrusted with to make the biggest scientific discovery of his career. Uh-huh. Like, here's the thing. Girls who are into nerdy scholar boys do not want them to forget that they're interested in scholarship. That is correct. <laughs> Literally, what? Stephanie Lawrence sees something wrong with that. What is your 30-word summary, Lane? Uh, Viscount Breckenridge, part two. Except one, she can't ride a horse. Two, they don't really know each other. And three, there are even more POVs from the Laird. It's great. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. So... Let's talk about what happens in this book, because I think with sinister novels, we just go from beginning to end, although we've already talked to you about the end. We're still just going to go from beginning to end and touch on all the stuff that we want to make sure we don't forget to talk about. So first of all, she's at a ball. She's hanging out on the sides thinking, when am I going to meet my hero? Literally, my hero. Well... Again, just like the first book. Yes, just like the first book. Unlike the first book, she knows that she's in danger. I mean, Heather's whole book was about finding more information out about who the kidnapper is and stuff. They know they're in danger. She gets a note from an unknown person that's like, meet me in the conservatory. And she's like, I'm going to go. Maybe it's my hero. It's a kidnapper. Also... They make a big deal of explaining how this guy got out of the house under her family's nose. How'd he get in? We don't know. <laughs> like, that's actually the harder part of the plan, sir. Oh, okay. In the first book, like, the whole first part of it is, like, every she's, like, in the coach. They're talking. Then at night, Breckenridge comes and they chat. And then she gets back in the coach and they talk. And then at night, Breckenridge comes and chats. It doesn't happen in this book. What happens is she's drugged for literally days. <laughs> Which honestly is the biggest difference between this and the first one. Yeah. So there's like there's like four days of travel that we don't see. Which I'm going to be honest, I don't mind that we missed that part. Especially because it was repetitive. Right. So... She opens, she finally, basically her kidnapper decides, the kidnapper also was told not to drug her, but he did. But does not listen at all. He doesn't, he listens to like no instructions, except Mm -hmm. the kidnapping instructions. And he's like, okay, well, she, we have to like get her off of the opium so that when she finally arrives in Scotland, the Laird won't be able to tell that we drugged her for four days. Also, my favorite part is he, like, he'll never know. Bitch, you're bringing him his wife. She will tell him. She can tell him. Right, like, she'll be like, yeah, they kept me drugged the whole time. Like, he's gonna <laughs> find out. <laughs> but anyway, so they, so basically, that's why she's waking up. And, of course, as she wakes up, she looks around, and she immediately recognizes, number one, where she is. Number two, who the big nobleman is in the area. Yeah. I love how she's like, well, we're going to go through town. Maybe I'll see the Duchess doing some shopping and I can bang and get her attention. My, uh, but my other favorite thing, I understand that she was drugged. Okay. So I'm about to say something rude. And I understand she was like very, very high. 
She's like, okay, I'm only going to have one chance to attempt to get help in this big city. And she just falls asleep and stays asleep through the whole chance to rescue. She's like, okay. She's like, I, this is my one chance to see people and get their attention so that they'll come rescue me. I'm feeling a little tired. I'm just going to close my eyes for just a second. And then when she opens them up again, they're rolling out of town. I also, okay. I understand Stephanie Lawrence thought she was getting around this by saying they're taking a different road. Right. But I'm sorry. The sisters are supposed to be uber famous. One of them has just disappeared for an extended period of time and shown up magically engaged. Mm -hmm. The select inner circle that Jeremy counts himself among (laughs) knows it was a kidnapping. But I just find it really hard to believe, again, that this family is so fucking recognizable and was just all up in the papers for, even if they don't know it's Heather's kidnapping, Heather's engagement, that, like, no one's gonna recognize this girl who's being taken in and out of the carriage drugged? Yeah. Well, and that that also cracked me up so much, because they're like, we're really keeping it quiet, we're keeping it on the DL, no one's gonna know. Jeremy, who is a friend of a duke, who is a friend of Eliza's cousin. Sure. Is apparently in the circle and knows what happens to them. And he's like, oh, we got to keep it quiet. <laughs> Just like, like they did with Heather. I was like, if this guy knows, everyone fucking knows. Everyone knows. They're not trying to keep it quiet at all. It was so funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> it made no fucking sense. So let's talk about all the reason this kidnapping plan is bad. One, it is performed mere moments after the first failed kidnapping. (laughs) No time for this to leave the collective memory. Mm -hmm. Two, he again wants to hire someone to go kidnap a sinister woman. I have a proposal. When eventually we learn who this Laird is, is just showing up in London as himself and attempting to win one of their hands totally not an option? (laughs) Well, at least this book does at least try to address that it, really stupidly, but it does. <laughs> let, me, let me read you the part. Fate. Okay. Um, fate's clear message seems to be that he wouldn't be allowed to reclaim the goblet because that's what this dude needs. He needs his goblet back. He wouldn't be allowed to reclaim the Why? goblet without, without sacrificing the one thing he tried so hard to cling to to avoid having to lay on the altar in meeting his mother's demands. His honor was an intrinsic part of him. Directly kidnapping a sinister chip himself was the one line he'd drawn and had tried to hold to. So it's a stupid line. But second, I'm not saying kidnap. He couldn't have gone and like convinced her to get in the fucking carriage? Right. Over, I he's mean, had months. He's had months. But it also just cracks me up that he's like, it's more honorable for me to hire a literal criminal yes. than to just go. Who I am her. afraid might kill her. Mm-hmm. This guy has some twisted priorities. <sighs> and he's definitely going to be the romantic hero of the next book. Definitely. Okay. So they're driving out of town and mm-hmm. Eliza's like, I've got one, like, I only have a few more chances. Like, I'm probably, 
she is like, I think I'm going to see someone that I know. And of course she does. Yeah. She's, she's like, I have to look out the window. I have to look out the window. She looks out the window of the carriage and she's like, oh, I think I recognize that dude. It's Jeremy Carling. Uh, yeah. And he drives his cart next to her carriage and she slams herself up against the window and shouts, help me. And he's like, Oh, I think that was, I think that's someone I know. I think that's mm-hmm. Eliza's sister. And he yeah. literally keeps driving and then he stops and he's like, I guess I should probably follow the carriage. Like, she seemed pretty kidnapped. <laughs> right. And mm, because I'm in the family's, again, select inner circle as someone who met them at a party this one time. You know, the only thing that makes sense is for me to make this my personal responsibility to save her life. So I'm going to come up with a plan that involves leaving safety and numbers for reasons. Mm-hmm. So he follows her, goes to the first, you know, finds her at the inn. And then just like in Vicom Records, she's like, I can't go with you right now because yeah. reasons. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, I'll I'll get you from Edinburgh, wherever they take you. And she's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, the reasons were she was in a very high window and had been heavily drugged, so could not actually move. Like, that part, at least, I was like, okay. I get why she can't jump out this window right now. Waiting until mm-hmm. she was locked in the basement? Well, and here's the thing, too, right? Like, don't you feel like he literally was just at this other Duke's place? Don't you think that once he figured out where she was, he could hire a different horse and, like, ride back to the other Duke's place and then they could ride back to the, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, there were several plans other than the one he came up with. And so many scenes are of him laying in bed planning and being like, this isn't natural to me. Hmm. (laughs) Planning is hard. What the fuck? I am not a warrior. The thing you said about this is Stephanie Lauren's attempt at a beta hero fucking cracks me up because it's so true and he's so not. No, he's not a beta hero. It's so funny. She's like, he's a beta hero because he likes reading. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. So, get to Edinburgh. I'm not going to go into how he breaks her out of the where she's being kept, but he breaks her out. Yep. And then he takes her to his, he's got friends. He's got friends in Edinburgh because Edinburgh has like universities. So, of course, scholars have friends wherever there's university. So he finds some buddies and then they're like safe in his buddy's house. Sure. And then he's like, okay, I have this awesome plan tomorrow we're gonna leave town and go back to the duke the duke of wolverstone's place and it's gonna be great and they're like okay like i don't understand this choice well because it um is stupid and doesn't make sense (laughs) like the whole time i'm like why don't you just stay where you are right where you have again one of the big concerns because this is the same book as the first book, is the chaperoning situation. Right. That, like, 
if things go badly, they like her reputation will be ruined. Mm-hmm. So in Edinburgh, they have all of his friends. They're staying at a house owned by a married couple. Mm-hmm. There is literally no reason that they need to leave. No. And every they like send a all telegram. The, oh, well, I mean, I guess telegrams didn't exist. So that's fine. But that's the thing, too. A letter. It's Edinburgh. You know what I mean? It is. And that's the thing, too. He, the, the, he, she does try to address these plot holes because, like, well, I can't write a letter because what if somebody read it and found out that Eliza's sister was kidnapped? Okay, here, I'm dead serious. Here's what you do. The letter says, hey, devil, I was just at the Duke and he told me about the circumstances surrounding your sister's engagement. Um, I want to let you know that in regard to, you know, your other sister... I might have some information on the potential person behind it. Maybe talk to me as soon as possible. You can find me at this address. Right. Like, there are ways to put it that's not like, hey, I just found your kidnapped sister. Exactly. She's been compromised. Anyway, they're like, (laughs) all right, we're leaving. So he comes up with this whole plan to leave town. And Eliza's all about it. She's like, yeah, cool. This sounds great. Awesome. Let's leave. (laughs) And they do. Except he never told her that she was going to ride on a horse. And Eliza Which, apparently can't ride a horse. And we've got to get all, like, sinstery about it. hmm Like, what do you mean you're a sinster who can't ride a horse? Are you broken? A sinster who can't ride? What? He's like, wait, you can't ride a horse? But you're a sinster. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I know. It's, like, my biggest secret. I'm so sorry. I was like, what the fuck? I'm so ashamed of myself. Like I can, I can go at a at a leisurely walk, but anything faster than that. Oh. It was so bonkers, <laughs> so bonkers. <laughs> and thus begins the second part of the book, the second boring, interminable. It lasts for fucking ever, Lane. Yes, that is accurate. Like. They're like, oh, okay. So basically, it's just a series of unfortunate events that happens to this couple. So first, mm-hmm. she can't ride, so they have to hire a cart. Well, the carts are all rented at this next town, so they have to hitch a ride with a farmer. And then once they get there, it's nighttime, and they have to get a, you know, a bed somewhere. And they have to sleep, you know. And then, like, it's this huge thing. He's like, are you okay if we spend the night? And what she's gonna? What's she gonna do? Like, no, I get me to the Duke's place right now, you know? Right. And of course, this whole time, the Laird is somehow tracking them, which also I think is so stupid. She tries to make him out to be this like super smart dude, but the shit that this couple is doing makes no sense. Like, it doesn't make logical sense. So I don't understand how he could use his like logical smarts to find them. That's been my favorite part of this series as a whole so far. Yeah. The way Stephanie Lawrence has tried so hard to present all of this as like eminently logical and like all these geniuses are involved and all the plans are so fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. I say that with love. It makes no sense that the Laird can track them. And not only that, the Laird, who's this amazing tracker, is being followed by the guy he hired to kidnap her. And he doesn't figure it out. 
but they do. It's so funny. <laughs> you know, oh it's a lot of things. I swear, Elaine, there were at least of this book, I would say probably 20 to 30 pages where there's a scene of them looking at a map and finding out the best next route to take because they had to divert. They have to, and they have to talk about it at like length. And she runs her finger down the map. She's like, well, what if we went here? He's like, well, no, because look over there. Oh, you're right. That, that road doesn't do, doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't connect. <laughs> it was the most boring thing I think I've ever read. So boring. It's so boring. <laughs> it's, lit- it's map reading interspersed with fucking. This is cartography porn. Yes, it is. If you were a cartographer, maybe you would be really into this book. I Probably wouldn't go not. That far. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it's like accurate no. depictions of cartography. I think it's. I don't even know if it's accurate depictions of porn. There's a lot going on here. I was actually wondering. I'm going to be honest. I was wondering if she had found like an old map of Scotland. And mm-hmm. was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this in my book. It is all history. There was a scene, pretty early. It's like literally the first scene where Jeremy appears on the page, and he's thinking about the reason he's chosen to take this yeah. back way from the Duke's house to yeah. his home, even though it's out of the way. And he just lists like six random fucking Scottish cities he's passed in the last hour, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I was like, my actual thought was, okay, Stephanie Lawrence, you know how to use Google Maps. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be taking away from this. And then they continue to, like, be very specific about, like, the series of towns. Yes. And it never makes more sense. No. I mean, if she had put the map in at the beginning, it might have made slightly more sense. But only a tiny little bit more. Yeah. I, I will say, I did think about, so Lane and I live in the D.C. area. And one of the things that we used to do before the, before the pandemic was uh, complain about roads and talk about different ways to take things because the traffic is so bad around here. You're always yes. like, well, I found a real a faster way to get to Clara Barton, you know? <laughs> and you would like trade these back routes. That's what I thought of. And I was like, it's interesting if you live it, not so interesting if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Also, not sexy. No. <laughs> I, I never once wanted to jump someone's bones because we were talking about an alternate route to Seminary Road. Correct. Although I do talk about that kind of on a regular basis. But he wasn't talking. He was self-reflecting. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> wasn't, oh. He wasn't like, sir, on the road. Yeah, I'm taking the back way home because I like the views. He was thinking to himself, these towns are great. <laughs> okay. So then eventually they have to abandon like all the carts and they start walking. Yeah. Now they're, now they're walking. Which again, just like the first book. Mm-hmm. So now they're walking. One of my other favorite parts of the book was, he's like, oh, it's getting to be dusk. We'd better look for a place to stay. And he takes a spyglass and looks around and he's like, whoa, there's a shepherd's hut. Let's go there. And I was like, I don't think that's how this works. Um, you're right. <laughs> this, but again this has to be the exact same book and like even the best part is the book opens and she's like I'm so glad I'm getting rescued in Edinburgh I'm so bad at the outdoors I would never want to walk and then she ends up trekking and she's like I've learned I'm stronger than I think I am and like 
No one thought you didn't want to walk because you were too weak to. It's because it sucks. It sucks. I mean, and you're... people do this, but they prepare for it and they like like it. But yeah, escaping from someone by walking is not fun. For miles. And like, I was just really glad we didn't have to go through pages of description of shoes again. No, that's true. No shoes. At least like she had appropriate shoe footwear from the beginning. She had appropriate footwear. Oh, we forgot to mention she's been cross-dressing this whole time. Oh yeah. This is like very Shakespearean. (laughs) FYI. FYI. Uh, Okay. Uh, Let's see. So they're being tracked. So yet again, just like the first book, they're being tracked by the Laird, not so that he can kidnap her back, but so that he can make sure that the guy who's rescuing her is good enough to marry her. And then once he figures out that he is, he's like, oh, it looks like she's in love with this guy. It looks like this guy's a stand-up dude. The thing is, like, there's a lot of trauma involved in these kidnapping in a vacuum. Like, they're being kept drugged. They're being, you know, physically assaulted, if not maneuvered. And so Stephanie Lawrence, because she wants this guy to be a romantic hero, has to find some way to keep him sympathetic. And she does that by giving him just endless, boring POV chapters in which he, like, justifies his own moral code to himself. Mm Mm-hmm. So once he's like, oh, they are right for each other, he has to keep following them because he led the evil kidnapper that he hired to them. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) And then they, I'm not going to go into like more of their trekking because it's literally days literally hundreds of pages and days and days and days of them walking around Mm -hmm. being followed by the Laird thinking they've escaped him, but really they haven't because he's the best tracker in the world. (sighs) Even though he doesn't know he's being followed and also just makes completely random assumptions and yeah, yeah, also has a very stupid plan. My favorite part was when he admitted he'd followed the guy who kidnapped and Eliza all the way from London Mm-hmm. And could have claimed her at any point on the road. Mm-hmm. And just didn't. Decided not to. Because why, Meg? His honor, I guess. Oh, he also and wanted he to didn't make... didn't want to hurt the kidnapper's feelings. I was going to say, he wanted to make the guy feel better, like he had done a good job. <laughs> Even though he was not following instructions, and he knew it from the fucking beginning. Yeah, correct. All right. So... Eventually, things come to a head, and the Laird has to save Eliza and Jeremy from the kidnapper, who, again, he hired. He hired. And again, Eliza and Jeremy are really bad at fleeing and need to be saved by this dude. Yeah. So this dude, it's like a, it's like a Sherlock Holmes thing. They both fall over the cliff, but then you only find one body. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. I wonder if everyone thinks the Laird is dead. Well, they do. They're like, he's dead. He's dead. Yep. They're like, totally like, yeah, he's dead. Okay. Third part of the book. Third act. They go to the Duke of Wolverstone's place. And by the time they get there, Eliza and Jeremy have decided that they're in love. And that they will be married. That they're going to get married. 
And then once they get to his place, her, like her whole extended family's there. And then his whole extended family's there, not just family, but like friends and connections. Previous her, oh. book cohort. Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention. So he was previously in the Bastion Club, but some people show up who were in the um, the Brides Quartet, just as an FYI. Del and Delia, who I can't believe she married two people off who are Del and Delia. Anyway, his name is Del Bro, and her name is Delia. Um, they show up too, because they were visiting. So of course they can't get any time alone together to talk about because they make a pact on the road that they don't want to overthink what's gonna happen and it's sort of similar so the first book they make a pact on the pact on the road that like it can be just sex yeah. and they can find a way to preserve her, but more importantly they can find a way to preserve her reputation and pretend like like no one knows that they've had to sleep in the same room and all that stuff right this book they don't make a pact that like people aren't gonna know but they decide if they like think about the fact that they have to get married, it will change the way they behave around each other. So they're just choosing not to. Well, and the thing that cracks me up is the, are the conversations they have about this? Because they, they're so lengthy and so long-winded and you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Let me, I'm just going to give you an example. Yes, I was just thinking, because it reminds me when I bitch about people like thinking around things in their brain so the reader doesn't know. They talk around it to each other when they're trying to communicate. Yes. So. They had sex once. They thought they were going to be back at Wolverstone's place the next day. But, of course, shit happens. They're not. So they're in the bedroom. And here's what he says. About whether now we've indulged once, given that later today we'll be at Wolverstone and then doubtless on our way down to London, all in situations where further indulgence might be problematical, whether, given we are both wide awake, we shouldn't seize the opportunity to indulge again. And I'm like, just say think we should fuck again also was that english i mean the whole conversation i mean i was reading it and then he seems to understand perfectly so i will say i will give her this much they talk to each other about their situation and they agree about what they're gonna do i might not understand what the fuck they're saying but they seem to understand each other yeah there's definite mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> right yeah, and you're not wrong, right? No, they they seem to get it. I have I have many many a question. I mean, yeah, but the way they talk about it just kills me. It's so funny. yeah, yeah. She's like, let's roll the dice, and I'm like, roll the dice about what? You know, this is the like basically they agreed, but it's not like they made a sex pact that they were only having sex once. I just don't understand. I don't get it. What all the drama and negotiation was even over. Yeah. So anyway, they get to Wolverstone's place. Everyone's like, they're going to get married. And they're like, aw, poor Eliza. She's going to have to get married to this guy she's not in love with. Meanwhile, no one asks them. No. It's just assumed that because he's a nerdy scholar, he's not what a sinister woman would want. Well, and that's they're like literally Liza. the basis of everyone feeling bad for her is like, oh, he's not like very sinstery, is he? And again, she's the sinster. Yes. Yep. 
they're like, oh, man, Eliza, you're going to have to get used to competing for time with books. But you probably won't care because you don't love them anyway, right? <laughs> also, I love at the beginning, he has the thought all the strong-willed sister men have that they want a meek, submissive wife. Yes. Except he's like, I need a meek, submissive wife because I just want to be left alone with my mooks. And it's like, then marry someone who has a life and goes out and does shit. Right? Like, if we, like I don't understand every single character of man, whether it is the submissive, whether it's like the big sister alpha male or a sister adjacent or sister adjacent but bookworm all for various reasons wants a bookworm and the word like a meek an, a, a, a meek woman who will give in to everything right none of them actually want that but what's hilarious is it's not like eliza's not that right i don't really understand what point they were trying to make i don't get it but anyway they talk to each other i will say this book the conflict is not the same so the conflict in the other book was they couldn't talk to each other about it for some reason. Correct. And they relied on sex communication. Right. And in this book, they do talk to each other about it. They're both like, yeah, I think we get along really well. You know, I kind of love you. You know, I kind of love you too. Oh, this is and in my favorite moment in all of books, in all of books ever, he thinks, you know, I know the right thing to do as a sinster man would be to just not tell her how I feel and never say I love her and like just let her know and our relationship will be what it will be and I'm gonna prove I'm still sensitive and different by saying the words I love you mm -hmm. it's true he found the warrior within by rescuing her pretty ineptly but then, <laughs> he, did, <laughs> then he denied the warrior within by actually admitting that he loved her and then the conflict becomes how do we tell our families that we're in love? <laughs> because they continue to talk about me like I'm not here and I'm some huge disappointment to the family, <laughs> even though apparently I'm in the inner circle. Fucking loved. This book makes no sense. So you want to know what they do? They show up together, arm in arm, and they're like, we are in love. And you're going to publish a wedding announcement that is like, we are ecstatic that these two are getting married because they love each other. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Where's the lie? That's literally the whole book. That's literally <laughs> the whole book. I, this book had so little substance. Yes. And I can't stress like how long? How many pages? Like 400 pages? 440. Thank you. <laughs> it was 440 pages. This book, and I know we said this about the first book, but the thing is, this had no little, so little substance, but is the same book. <laughs> right? So little substance. Twice. 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 <laughs> Can I ask you, did, or were you disappointed that you read this book? God, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ah, is there any content warning we need to go over? I mean, she got kidnapped and drugged. <laughs> There's murder. There's casual sexism and gender essentialism. I think that about covers it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this book was very sexy in a sinister way. Yeah, so this was maybe the most florid sex scenes 
Oh my God! You're, for you're Lawrence, swept swept away in a storm of and passion. And Meg read the way they talked to each other in a like between sexy times moment. It felt like that was the same type of language used to describe their sex. Yeah, I was like, wait, where did this sentence just go? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it is hard to be like, what's going on? She loves to repeat things and like do repeated clauses mm-hmm. that mean the same thing, but with different words. She's really into well, that, you know? Well, this wasn't sexy, but th- this was the most egregious example of it to me in the book. Several times right after she's kidnapped, she keeps her eyes shut as she wakes and uses her other senses. Yes. And that exact, it, it, the phrasing that she used to describe it was duplicated one and a half pages apart. Yeah. I, I want to point out that there is a big age gap in this book. You don't realize it because they don't they don't talk about it and they don't make a big deal out of it. But he's like yeah. 40, 42. He's, 30, he's 37. Oh, excuse me. 37 and she's 23. Four. There you go. Still a pretty big age gap. Yeah, they're 13 years apart. It's, um, I think it bothers me less when the, woman in the equation is not 18 yeah like it's less about the difference in number like she was definitively considered like an adult right in society so like even though it's a big age gap it's she was not treated in an infantile way by society well and the other thing is too again stephanie lawrence writes the same male character over and over and over yeah so he he this 37 year old felt the same as 29 year old because they read exactly the same. Correct. You know, it's, he didn't think once like, oh, you know, I thought that I was never going to get married or, you know, like that just wasn't something that, you know what I mean? His age yeah. wasn't of concern to him. Yes. So. Beyond the biological clock he had in the first couple of pages. <laughs> He's like, oh, I do want to have kids someday. Guess I got to find a wife, but. My, I'm so I'm such a scholar. I don't know how to do it. This was also one of my favorite moments in the sex scenes. He, um, the first time they have sex, he's like, "I was gonna pull out to like leave at least some safety in the case this doesn't work out." But then I decided not to. <laughs> and that's literally like his internal monologue. I'm like, "Cool, cool, cool." Pulling from Virginia. I hope she knows how babies are made. Right? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I don't Sinsters are weird. Pregnancy only matters in sinster books when um, it's ordained by the lady and they're fighting it. Well, that's the, that's the thing that's really weird about the sinster books is they, they want to get pregnant, but they only get yeah. pregnant when they want to. They Which talk is about... Generally immediately, but yes. Yeah. Well, like, they talk up their other... I don't think we've read them, but there are books where she's like, yeah, we're going to have sex, and like, we're just going to keep going. And then if I get pregnant, of course, we'll get married. But yeah, like I don't have to worry about it. And like they don't. They don't worry about right. it. Right. But I I love that. I, no, I do too. It's extremely there's, important to me. There's never any like secret baby. There's never no. contraception fail. They just don't. No. They're just like whatever, you know. <laughs> no, that would involve planning. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, uh, anyway, this book was fucking amazing. 35 out of 10. Um, <laughs> you should think the same thing about our podcast. Rate us five out of five. 
you, you can't do 35 out of 10 or we'd ask for that. If you could, you that's what you should rate us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think we have to say this, but uh, highly recommended. We'll be continuing with Sinster Books. Can't I can't fucking wait to finish this Sinster Sisters trilogy. It's also a fucking tongue twister. You have to say that three times fast, you know? I can't wait to watch the third one get kidnapped. But this time by the Laird himself. With a bigger age gap? How old is the Laird? I don't, like 30-ish, I think. Yeah, but she's like she's 21, really young, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I got it right here. I, I may be tempted to start it sooner than I should. Uh, you put uh, a Stephanie Lawrence, a new Stephanie Lawrence in my hand, and that's what I'm reading. There's nothing I, I can do about it. I like, I, I, it's compulsive. I can't like, stop. These are, I don't know what it is about these, but I find them addictive. They, they really are. And it's not, you can't even call them like popcorn books. They're not books that you can just like. No, pop- they take forever. Yes. They're so long. <laughs> So you just keep you keep going back for more. Thank you guys for listening. Bye.